Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Well, we're on this, hey, morning, 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 morning. We're on this journey through the gospel of John, and we've been talking about the fact that John wrote his gospel, the fourth of four New Testament gospels, so that we would know Jesus, which is a big deal because we've been saying a lot that whether you're joining us online or here in person, whether this is your first time or your 5,000th, when you get to know Jesus, it changes everything. When you get to know Jesus better, it changes everything. But even as I say that, there's a part of me that finds that a little bit catchphrasy. Like, what does that even mean? When you know Jesus, it changes everything. So I want to unpack that a little bit by talking about the decision that we made when we decided to undertake this journey through John. It's going to take us over a year. And when you decide that you're going to journey through a book of the Bible, there's a couple things that you decide that you're not going to be able to do. Here's one. Choose your own topic. You open up the Bible, and the text chooses the topic, right? Which... I mean, it's a challenge because sometimes you'd like to just come up with like a really peppy title for a series, you know, Seven Steps for Scintillating Sex. That would drive attendance for sure, right? (laughs) Or Eight Ways to Have an Amazing Marriage, Always Necessary. But I was thinking about it, you know, I've officiated a lot of weddings, like a lot, a lot in my life. As young as I am, I have officiated a few weddings in my day. And I think... I think every wedding I've ever officiated, I've stood up in front of a couple, young, middle-aged, or old, and I read out of the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I just want to stop there for a second because we talked about these topics, right? Like seven steps for scintillating sex. I was just kind of trying to be funny there. Um, Eight ways to have an amazing marriage. But, but, okay, but. Sex is an expression of Love. The foundation of a successful marriage is love. Okay, so, so I stand there and I read 1 Corinthians 13, right? The love chapter. And I say love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not rude, proud, or self-seeking. That love isn't easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. It doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It's such a funny thing to do. To stand up there and read that. Knowing for 100% certainty that that couple standing in front of me that I'm reading the passage to is no more able to love like that than fly to the moon. Not a chance. And what's even funnier is the person reading it to them, in this case me, is no more able to love like 1 Corinthians 13 describes as fly to the moon. It's impossible. I'm incapable. So the question has to be, what's it doing in the Bible? So here's love. It's unattainable. Hmm, neat. Makes it even more challenging when you think about the fact that if you read through the New Testament Gospels, the stories of Jesus, that over and over and over again, we read Jesus saying, hey, love one another. A new command I give you, love one another. People will know that you follow me by your love. Okay, hold it, but I just told you, I'm incapable. And then in 
Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, hey, by the way, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Okay, hold it. So which is it? Should I love? Or is the yoke easy and the burden light? And the answer, of course, is yes. <laughs> Both. But it's a little bit intricate. Because John chapter 3 says this, that when I get to know Jesus, when I get to know him, that what happens is I am born Again, Jesus said that, you're born again. Another translation says you're born from above. In other words, I go from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. The, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence inside of me and begins to change my soul. My mind, my will, and my emotions slowly but surely begin to change. So what I was once incapable of doing, slowly but surely, I become capable. What once I couldn't, now I can. I was weak, but he is strong. It was impossible for me, but it's possible with him. So on one hand, the command is love, which I'm incapable of doing, but the yoke is easy and the burden is light when I come to this point when I say, God, I can't but you can, that's it, that's the key. It's a key to a great marriage. But it's so much more than that. If you ask me, what's the first step to winning with your finances? Know Jesus, know Jesus. It's not the only step, but it's the first and the foundational step. What's the first step to being a great parent? Know Jesus. It's not the only step, but it's the first step and the most foundational step. Well, what's the first step towards emotional health in a world where that seems to be so difficult to find? The first step towards emotional health is to know Jesus. It's not the only step, but it's the first and the foundational step. What's the first step in recovery and breaking addiction? The first step? Know Jesus. It's not the only step, but it's the first step and the most foundational step. So we're on this journey through the gospel of John, believing that God's going to get to work at us, that we're going to know Jesus better, and it's going to change us. Another way of saying it, it's going to change us from the inside to the outside. That God's going to make some impossible possible inside of me. And eventually that's going to manifest in the way that I handle my marriage, in the way that I parent my kids, in the way that I live my life. To know Jesus. So we've reached this portion of the gospel of John it's just hours away from Jesus being arrested. He sits down with his disciples for one last supper, preparing them for what is to come. John chapter 13, Jesus says, I'm telling you all this ahead of time, so that when it happens, you will believe that I am who I say I am. Make sure you get this right. Receiving someone I send is the same as receiving me, just as receiving me is the same as receiving the one who sent me. After he said these things, Jesus became visibly upset. And then he told them why. One of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked around at one another, wondering who on earth he was talking about. One of the disciples, the one Jesus loved dearly, by the way, John wrote this gospel, and John's referring to himself there, which I just think is awesome, okay? <laughs> The, the one Jesus loved dearly was reclining against him, his head on his shoulder, 
Peter motioned to him, to John, to ask who Jesus might be talking about. So being the closest, he said, Master, who? Jesus, says, Jesus said, the one to whom I give this crust of bread after I've dipped it. Then he dipped the crust and gave it to Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot. As soon as the bread was in his hand, Satan entered him. What you must do, said Jesus, do. Do it and get it over with. No one around the supper table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that since Judas was their treasurer, Jesus was telling him to buy what they needed for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. Judas was with a piece of bread left. It was night. Jesus says, children, I am with you for only a short time longer. You are going to look high and low for me. But just as I told the Jews, I'm telling you, where I go, you are not able to come. Let me give you a new command. Love one another. In the same way I loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples. When they see the love you have for each other. Simon Peter asked, Master, just where are you going? Jesus answered, you can't now follow me where I'm going. You will follow later. Master, said Peter, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Really? You'll lay down your life for me? The truth is that before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. There's this book of wisdom in the Old Testament. It's called the book of Proverbs. Okay, and Proverbs kind of divides people into three distinctive groups. Okay? Wise people. I have nothing against this side of the uh, auditorium, by the way. Okay, I just, just, okay. Evil people. <laughs> and fools. Now for me, I like alliteration. And so I break it down this way. Wise people, wicked people, and wingnuts, okay? And I, I, I like wingnut a little bit better than fool because I got a lot in common with a lot of wingnuts in the Bible, so I just kind of like it. It's a little softer, okay? So wise people, wicked people, and wingnuts. It's interesting, though, because the events captured in John chapter 13, we see perfect illustrations of all three. Wisdom is represented in Jesus. Wickedness represented in Judas Iscariot. And the wingnut, probably the most relatable character in the entire Bible, is the disciple Peter. The Bible says that God's plan for you, God's plan for me, is that he would move us towards wisdom. It's interesting because sometimes when we hear somebody talk about wisdom, what we think is that it just, I'm going to be smarter. But it's so much more than that. To become wise is to become more like Jesus. To become more like Jesus is to become blessed. Jesus referred to it as the abundant life. Galatians chapter 5 says it this way. A wise life is a life marked by love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. What a life. What a life. A, mark, a life marked by that, defined by that. That's a life worth living. That's a life of purpose. That's a life of power, of joy, of strength, of hope. A life of love. A life of love. So we want to make that journey, you know? We want to make that journey towards wisdom. Proverbs even says, if it costs you everything you have, if it costs you everything you have, get wisdom. Move to this place of abundance. Move to this place of blessing. Move to this place of purpose. 
a life worth living. Get wisdom. So how do we do that? Well, Proverbs 9 says this. The reverent awe of God. Another way to translate the Hebrew there would be to know God is the beginning of wisdom. That's what we're doing here today. As we open up John chapter three, we're saying, God, we wanna know you better through your son, Jesus Christ. We wanna get wisdom. That's the goal. That's the journey that I wanna take us on today. One warning. You can't get there from here. You can't get there from here. You can't go from wicked to wise. So what, what I wanna talk about is this. I wanna suggest to you today that we all got a little bit of all of this in our life. Even if you think you're silly, you got some wisdom. You got some wisdom, not probably a lot, okay? And you got some wickedness in you, or at least you have experience with it. But what's the overarching theme of your life? What's your trajectory? Trajectory, that's a hard word. What's your trajectory? In light of the fact that you can't get there from here, what I wanna talk about first, I wanna talk about five differences, five differences between wingnuts and wicked people, five differences. So we would know like, who am I? How am I living my life? I wanna talk about five differences. Then I wanna talk about how to make the journey from wicked to wingnut. And then finally, I wanna end by talking about the journey from wingnut to wise. So five differences between wicked people and wingnuts. Number one, wingnuts are unintentional. Wicked people are intentional. Wingnuts are unintentional. Wicked people are intentional. Judas Iscariot represents wicked people in these events. He's completely intentional. There's nothing unintentional about what he's doing. He's the treasurer for Jesus and the disciples. He's stealing money. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's intentional. He's stealing money from them. And then eventually he cuts a deal with the religious leaders, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, that if they give him 30 pieces of silver, that he will betray Jesus to his death. It's intentional. Peter is the wing nun. Peter is unintentional. When Peter says... I will lay down my life for you. Does he mean it? Absolutely he does. But then the events get the best of him. and He isn't able to stand up to what he said he was going to do, but it's unintentional. I can really relate to wingnuts. I can really relate to Peter. Maybe you can too. The best of intentions don't always translate into the proper actions. You ask a wingnut like, Hey, uh, what happened? How did you get into debt? And they say, well, I never intended to. It just kind of happened. You know, I just kept spending more money than I make every month. And voila, there I was in debt. Wingnut says to you, man, I'm out of shape. I'm just so frustrated I'm out of shape. And you say, how did you get there? And they say, I'm not sure. It just happened. I've been living on Doritos, donuts, and Dr. Pepper for nine months. And here I am, you know, it just happened. Wingnuts are not intentional. So if you, if you say to a wingnut, did you intentionally hurt that person? They'll say, no, I actually didn't. But their name came up in conversation and I just kind of joined in on the gossip. A wingnut might say, well, I didn't mean to be stuck spiritually. 
I didn't mean to be stagnant spiritually. I didn't mean to be in this place where I never really grow and I never really progress. But there's something interesting happens when I sit down in church, when I open up my Bible. I'm in church and Mike starts talking and I think to myself right away, this is the first thing I think. I think this, man, I wish he was here to hear it. I wish what's-her-face was here to hear this sermon. She really needs it. I didn't mean to be stagnant, but I just kept thinking truth applies to everybody else except for me. I get that. I get unintentional living. I understand it. I think for all of us, we can kind of relate to in some degree or we can understand wingnuts. Wicked people, it's a little more difficult. A few years ago, Some friends came up to me and they said, hey, there's this woman and she really, really hates you and we thought you should know. I said, not a chance. There's no way, I'm way too lovable. Like no one, no one, there's no way she hates me. There's not a chance, you know? They're like, no, no, she really does. She really hates you. She goes around, she says, "Um, Mike Manis is a liar, an egomaniac, and a cult leader. Okay, the trifecta, right? And I'm like, I doubt it. I doubt it because cult leaders are all about themselves and not about Jesus, and people criticize me because I talk about Jesus too much. There's no way. I don't believe you guys. I don't believe you. They're like, no, no, she talks about you all the time. When she's leaving Walmart and the Walmart greeter says to her, thank you for shopping at Walmart, she says, you're welcome for shopping at Walmart, but there's just one thing you need to know. Mike Manis is a liar, an egomaniac, and a cult leader. I'm like, no. You guys are lying. You're making this up. It's so stupid. You know, because I talked to her just the other day. She told me my shoes were nice, and she asked about my family and the church, and she seemed so excited and so caring. I don't believe you. And then one day, somebody walked up to me with their phone, and they were in a group text, and this particular woman was in the group text, and they said, you probably need to read this. And I read it, and I said, she really hates me. This woman hates me. Did you guys know? Why didn't you tell me? She hates me. She wants to harm me and she wants to harm the mission of this church. It's difficult sometimes to get your head around it, you know? We can understand wingnuts, but sometimes it's important that we understand that there's wickedness in this world too. So wingnuts are unintentional. Wicked people are intentional. Wingnuts, they make promises, but they have no plan. Wicked people, they make a plan to break a promise. So for a wingnut, they stand up and, and they're getting married. And at, in their marriage ceremony, they promise, I will love you, I will cherish you, I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. And for the wingnut, they really, really mean that. They make that promise with full and total conviction, you know? But they don't really have a plan. And so what can happen then is, They kind of just slide into online flirting, pornography, inappropriate relationships. They never really meant to be where they are, but the next thing you know, that promise that they really, really made and really, really wanted to keep, they don't keep it because they didn't have a plan. Now, wicked people are a little different. Wicked people have a plan to break their promise. So a wicked person, when they're getting married, is standing up there thinking, yeah, yeah, I'll love and honor and cherish and be faithful to you as long as we both shall live, but they have no intention. They're already, their eyes are already open for better options. I would say this to you. If you're single and you are dating, this applies also to friendships and business partnerships as well. If you are dating a wingnut, slow it down. Slow it down, Tex. Slow it down. Or maybe you're 
Not so much dating a wingnut as when the two of you get together, you just kind of are wingnuts, you know what I mean? Like, you're just, you live unintentionally. You kind of run by your emotions. You make all these promises, but they don't necessarily always play out because you have no plan, and it just kind of happens. What you need to do before you get more serious in your dating relationship, you need to start becoming more intentional. Don't just make promises, but make plans, or you're headed for a life of misery. However, if you are dating a wicked person, this goes for friendships and business relationships also. If you are dating a wicked person, pull the shoot today. Pull the shoot today. Someone clap. Don't look at the person beside them. I'm not <laughs> suggesting anything. My money, that's a father who wants his daughter to break up with somebody, but I'm just completely <laughs> guessing. Just here to help, you know? What's tricky, though, I, I think I said this earlier. If I didn't, I should have. Um, wingnuts and wicked people from the outside can look a lot alike. So how do you tell if someone's actually wicked? I would say two things. Trust your gut and trust others. Trust your gut, first of all. People will tell you who they are, believe them. Ever heard that expression? People will tell you. So, so really, really, trust your gut a little bit. So is this person you're dating, are they mean? Are they unkind? If they're unkind to you now, it's not going to suddenly stop. In fact, wickedness has a tendency to spread. It doesn't stay in one spot. It will get worse. Are they mean? Are they unkind to other people, but they're still nice to you? If they're mean and unkind to other people, eventually wickedness spreads. They will be unkind to you. Pull the shoot. I would go as far as to say this. Are they mean and unkind to animals? You know, the Bible says we're supposed to be kind to animals, right? If you see unkindness in that person, I would take a really good, hard look. Second thing you want to look for in your gut, are they remorseful? Do they dem- Wingnuts are remorseful. Wicked people aren't. If you ask me, it might, give me one phrase that if the person I'm dating ever says this phrase, I should dump them. I got it. I would know right away if you asked me that. If somebody ever says this to you, dump them immediately, okay? Here it is, you ready? I'm sorry, you feel that way. Over, done, pull the chute, gone. And that's fake remorse. I hate that statement. Okay, okay, I should give them one warning. Okay, so if they say that to you, right, and maybe they weren't in church today, they should have been, but they weren't, okay, and, and, and they say that, give them one more, say, that's once, say it again, we're done, because they're not remorseful. Remorse always comes with change, not perfection, but change. So if you're in a friendship with somebody, or you're dating somebody, or you're in a business partnership with somebody, okay, and they say, sorry, I'm so 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 sorry, but there's absolutely no change, they're probably doing it on purpose. Pull the chute. I don't even know how that's how you pull the chute. I've never parachuted. <laughs> I'm too chicken. Okay, so, oh yeah, trust, uh, trust other people. They don't have the sunk cost that you do. You know what I mean? They don't have the same sunk cost in that relationship as you do. And so they're able to take a step back and go, hey, I don't know about that person you should probably really listen. Third difference between wingnuts 
and wicked people is this. Wingnuts are overt. Wicked people are covert. Okay? So Peter's a wingnut, right? He's overt. You never have to wonder. I wonder what Peter's thinking. You know what Peter's thinking. His heart is always right on his sleeve. I love that about the guy, you know? He leaps before he looks. He speaks before thinking. He gets out of the boat before asking himself, I wonder how this story's gonna end. You know what I mean? Like, that's just Peter. You never have to wonder. Judas Iscariot, on the other hand, he's buttoned up, man. He's completely buttoned up. He's completely covert. You want proof? At some point, think about this. At some point, the disciples must have got together and chosen. Who do you think should be our treasurer? You know who they never would have picked? Peter. They never would have picked Peter. Peter's a wingnut. You can't count on that guy. You, you need a, we need an upstanding, in control, well-presented, buttoned-up guy named Judas Iscariot. He kept things buttoned up until it was too late. Fourth difference between wicked people and wingnuts. Wingnuts get in trouble because they try to live life by their own strength. Did I say wicked people? Wingnuts get in trouble. Did I say wingnuts? Oh, good, good. Okay. Wingnuts get in trouble. Just making sure, you know? Uh, Wingnuts get in trouble because they try to live life by their own strength. Now listen, wicked people, they cause trouble as they live life with demonic strength. I'll unpack that. Peter says to Jesus, in effect, hey, even if every one of these losers around this table deny you, not me. I'm Peter. I got you. So he stepped into that situation. It's incredible. Can you imagine being there? We'll talk about it more obviously in the months to come, but Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He's mocked. He's spit on. And Peter doesn't have the strength to stand up. He denies Jesus three times. He's denying that he even knows Jesus to a middle school serving girl. Why? Because he tried to do it in his own strength. Wicked people, they run their lives by demonic strength. Let me explain. We were in a series a little while ago about spiritual warfare, and I talked to you about the fact that you and me, we have a spiritual enemy named the devil. And his goal is simple. His goal is destruction. And so what he's looking for in your life and in my life, he's looking for an open door. He's looking for an open door in our lives so that he can enter in and begin to influence our lives towards destruction. That's the plan. And one of the primary open doors that the devil will always look for in your life and my life is something called committed sin. Committed sin. In in this sermon, maybe I would refer to it as intentional wrongdoing, okay? Committed sin is you know what you're supposed to do, but you decide intentionally not to do it. That opens the door for the activity of the destroyer in your life. So I have a question for you. What do you think Judas' committed sin was? What was the sin that he, he knew he shouldn't be doing, but he was doing it over and over and over again? What would that have been? Stealing money. From who? Oh, just Jesus and the disciples, that's all. <laughs> over and over and over again, he opened a door to the destroyer. And the order is always the same. It starts with influence, and then eventually there's impact. 
Okay, then eventually there's control, and finally, possession. Culminates in this passage, right? And Satan entered Judas. So wicked people run on demonic strength. Now, if you've ever had a conflict with a wicked person, I don't have to prove this to you. You've seen it. These people have supernatural energy to argue with you day and night and day and night and day and night. They don't seem to need to sleep. They don't seem to need to eat. They don't seem to need to go to the bathroom. But finally, you need a 45-minute afternoon nap, so you take it. You wake up after 45 minutes, they've written two blogs, posted 17 posts on social media talking about you without using your name, but everybody knows that it's you, and taken three of your best friends out for a coffee to convince them that you're an idiot. You get what I mean? That brings me to my fifth difference between wingnuts and wicked people. Wingnuts run to Jesus. Wicked people don't. It's a pretty heart-wrenching story. The story of Peter and the story of Judas. Peter denies even knowing Jesus three times. And Jesus is whipped and mocked and beaten and nailed to a cross where he suffers and dies. But then on the third day, he rises again and we read and we'll talk a lot more about Peter in the weeks and months to come, okay? But suffice it to say that when Jesus rises again, Peter runs to Jesus. And if I was to tell you um, Jesus restores Peter, that would be an incredible understatement. The story of Peter has a powerful, incredible ending. Wingnuts run to Jesus and find restoration. Wicked people don't. I don't know how many of you know this, but Judas was dead before Jesus was. Judas took the 30 pieces of silver, was overwhelmed, and hung himself. Proverbs Proverbs 4 says it this way. The road to righteous travel is like the sunrise getting brighter and brighter until daylight has come. However, the road of the wicked is dark as night. They fall but can't even see what they have stumbled over. You have a spiritual enemy named the devil. Here's his plan for you. Gain influence, impact, control over you to destroy other people. And when he is done using you to destroy other people, he will destroy you. That's the plan. That's the plan. The devil's never had a merciful moment. He doesn't have an ally. (laughs) That's the plan. Destruction. Destroy others through you. When he's done, destroy you. So I want to stop, and I want to talk about making this journey. This is a big journey from wicked to wingnut. So I want to ask you a question. Is there committed sin in your life? God says right, you're going left. Here's the thing about it. I wanna ask you something, because I love you. I love you. Often, it's not as simple as, hmm, God says this, ah, just having a bad day, I'm gonna do this. It's often, it involves other people often. The, the, The Bible says that if there's 
three areas that you're going to mostly jump into committed sin in. It's going to be money, sex, and pride. All of those eventually involve other people. So here, listen to me very carefully. Because often we get into committed sin when somebody else is also in the wrong. Do you get what I mean? And so we look at what somebody else has done, and somehow we use that to justify what we're doing. I'm not talking about them right now. I'm telling you, it's not too late for you. You know how I know that? You're still breathing. It's not too late for you to make this journey from here to here. Wickedness spreads if left unchecked. It's not too late. You're still breathing. You can still repent. Do you wish other people ill? Repent. Do you plot evil against other people? Are you mean? Are you unkind? Repent of that today. There's still time. I know that for sure. You're still breathing. Make that journey. The journey from wicked to wingnut just brings you to this place where you say, God, I can't. I'm not as strong as I thought I was. It felt so right, but now it just feels like destruction. God, I need you. That's it. That's the journey. And then you can make the journey from here to wisdom. As I close today, I just want to give you three ways that we make the journey from wingnut to wise. Number one, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit. We talked earlier that when you know Jesus, when you know him, when you trust him, you are born again. The Holy Spirit gets to work on you. The New Testament book of James says this, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Ask God. That's good news because you know what? I lack wisdom every single day. Every single day. Every single morning when I do my devotions. I'm almost sick of writing it in my journal. Wisdom, 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 wisdom. I need wisdom. We're all going to need it our whole lives. Ask him. Ask him. The Holy Spirit's at work. He's at work inside of you. But he's not a bully. You need to ask. Ask. Say, Jesus, I need you. I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. There's things I can't do, but I know that you can. There's areas that I'm unable, but I know that you're able. There's areas that I'm weak, but I know that you're strong. There's areas that seem impossible to me, but I know, I know for sure. I ask you to make the impossible possible. I can't do it on my own. Ask him. The power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, the example of Jesus. One of the ways that wingnuts stay wingnuts is by... Comparing ourselves, notice I said ourselves, I have a tendency sometimes to compare ourselves to kind of low-hanging fruit. Well, at least I'm better than Cousin Eddie. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> Everybody's better than Cousin Eddie. In the dictionary under wingnut, it's a picture of Cousin Eddie. We get it. Some people are even worse. They're like, well, I'm not Hitler. I would agree. Touche, my friend. Good point. You are not Hitler. But on behalf of your friends, your spouse, your family, your kids, can I ask you, implore you even, can we raise the bar just a little bit? You know, just aim a, a little bit higher than Hitler, okay? Who's the example? Now, this is really interesting. The example is Jesus. So I look at the life of Jesus. I look the way that he loved. I look at his, gener I look at his generosity, and I say to myself, what do I say? I get to the point where I go, Jesus, I can't. And he says, there you go. Easy yoke. Light burden, let me just ask. And thirdly and finally, the act of love. So the power of the Holy Spirit, the example of Jesus, and the act of love. I said already, God's not a bully. So he's gonna work inside of you, he's gonna work in you to change you, but he's not gonna make you a robot, he's not gonna force you to do anything. 
But over and over and over again in the Bible, we read that the way that we work out what God is working in, the way that I work out, the way that I work out what God's working inside of me is love. It's the most powerful force in the universe. It's, it's love that sent Jesus into human history. It's love that propelled him to the cross. It's love that rolled away the stone and brought him out of that empty tomb on the third day. It's love. Love is the most powerful force in the universe and it's also the most powerful force in my life. He's working in me. How do I work it out? Through love. Through love. Start with those closest to you. In the back of my journal every morning when I'm doing my devotions, I got something that I read. I read it. It says this. I will lay down my life for Corinne, my wife. I don't keep score, I keep giving. And every morning when I read that, this is what I think. I don't know if I can do that, that's really hard. And Jesus says, there you go. Easy yoke, light burden, ask me. So start with those closest to you because you know what? Often they're the hardest to love, agree? Right? And then I would say this. Start opening your eyes. Ask God to open your eyes for you. Look around, look around, look around. Look at the people that he's brought into your life. At the friends, at the neighbors, at the coworkers. And, and, and I wonder if one of the reasons that he brought you into their life is so that they would know Jesus like you know Jesus. Next week's Father's Day. It's amazing. I've been working on this sermon for next week for a long, long time. Because Father's Day is probably the most controversial holiday of the year. You know that? A lot of pain around the whole topic of father in our culture. And next week's a big week. Because I really believe that God wants to bring healing. Because he actually is a perfect heavenly father. He's actually the dad that we're all truly longing for. So I'd go as far as to say this. What if you invited a friend or some friends to church next week? I know it's so hard, right? And Jesus says, that's why I'm here, ask for help. When I'm weak, he is strong. When I feel afraid, he gives me courage. We work out what God is working in us. We work it out through love. You know, we're doing this thing called food for the city. That's just a way of us saying to this city, we're not just talk. We are for this city. We love this city. Yeah, we actually do. Well, actually, so much so that we're gonna be generous. I know, but it's so hard, right? Yeah, it's so hard. That's the point. Jesus says, here I am. Ask me. Wise, wingnut, wicked. We're all on a journey. We're all on a journey to here, to abundance, to blessing. Let's pray. I wanna take a moment of reflection right now. I wanna ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're online and it's safe to do so, I would love if you could do the same. And just ask yourself this question. Is there an area of my life of committed sin? I'm gonna tell you again what I said earlier. It's usually not, it's usually not really simple you might look and say, well, yeah, but that person did that and, and this circumstance, but, but I'm just asking you simply, would you ask God to show you, is there an area of your life where God has said, hey, do it this way, and you've just been resisting? Between you and God right now, 
What if you were just to say, God, I repent. I repent, I need your help. Is there an area of your life when you've been unkind? In this moment right now of reflection, would you be willing to repent? Is there an area of your life that you've wished people ill? In this moment right now, would you be willing to repent? And for everybody online and in person right now, if you're anything like me and you realize there's times in your life that you have lived unintentionally, you live unintentionally, that you're not strong enough, you're not courageous enough, sometimes it feels like you're not enough. I want you to know that that's exactly the point where Jesus wants to come in and make you strong where you're weak. God loves you so much, fully, completely, and unconditionally, so much that he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus did for you, did for me, what we could never have done for ourselves. He died so that our sins could be forgiven so that we could have a fresh start. He rose again so that we could live with a strength that doesn't come from us alone, but is through him. But if you've never accepted that gift, if you've never taken hold of what God has given you through the gift of his son, Jesus, with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I wanna give you the opportunity to take hold of that right now. So would you raise your hand right now because I wanna pray with you. Nice and high if you don't mind. If you're online and it's safe to do so, I would love it if you could raise your hand. Also, something powerful when you make that outward expression of an inward commitment, amazing. Okay, you can put your hands down. I'm gonna pray out loud and I just invite you to pray silently along with me. So Jesus, thank you. I thank you that you're for me and that you love me. And I invite you right now to be my savior. Thank you that you died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could have a fresh start, a new beginning right now. I take hold of it, I accept it, I thank you so much for it. And Jesus, I thank you that you rose again. I pray that you would give me life, a blessed life, an abundant life, a life of purpose and a life of power, today, tomorrow, and forever. Thank you. Thank you, and for all of us, God, for those of us who have been in church, believing in you for a month, for a year, for decades and decades and decades, we come to you and we say, would you please make us wise? Would you please continue to work in us and then give us the strength, give us the faith to work out through love what you've worked inside of us to those who are closest to us and to those who are far away. We love you, we thank you in your name. Amen, let's celebrate. Well, you know what? It's good to be back. We'll see you next week for Father's Day. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.